in order for something to change, something has to become more important than something else. Hello and welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Worth, your host, a registered dietitian in New Haven, Connecticut, and I hope you're all uh, surviving this heat wave. I, um, yeah, I'm a little delayed on this podcast because of the heat. I was not working in my home office and didn't have any of my recording stuff. So here we are a few days later, but that's all right. Um, I did get to go on vacation this month. That was awesome. Worried that wasn't going to happen because of coronavirus. So I hope you're all having, you know, some time you can take a break or go somewhere, even if it's not very far away, um, a, a little different. I do want to say thank you to everyone who reached out to me after the pregnancy podcast two episodes ago um, with Crystal Cargus. I got so many lovely emails and messages and I just want to say thanks. I have read them all and um, I am planning to do a pregnancy Q&A specifically about you know mental health, nutrition, and eating disorders during pregnancy this fall. So if you do have any questions similar to when we did you know the overall Q&A please feel free to send those my way. Um, and yeah, send us send as many as you can. So worth your while nutrition, W-E-R-T-H, your while nutrition at gmail.com. Um, you know how to reach me on Instagram. It's at worth your while. So um, look forward to those. And I think it's going to be a good podcast because we already got a lot of good questions. Um, turns out I definitely was not the only one um, who was struggling with this at all. So I am glad we we all found each other. This week for our article of the week, we're back. We're back to that. Um, I do want to share. You know, it's one one article that Tara, who you all know, sent me. But I have seen dozens and dozens of articles like this one. And for anyone who has had an eating disorder, who you know has done their very best to stop dieting, to shut out diet culture. Um, it's really challenging because right now we're all being blasted with articles about the quarantine 15. And it's just like when I went to college and I was really trying hard to stop, um, you know, all of my bulimic behaviors and stop wanting to diet. And I actually needed to, you know, gain some weight. And everyone was talking about the freshman 15. Well, here we are again with uh, the quarantine 15. So I'm going to read a little bit from the top of this article. I'm sure you've seen tons like this. It is really unnecessary. Um, as someone uh, told me at the beginning of the quarantine, if what we're most focused on right now is just how we look, then I think our priorities are a little off. Um, I don't think we should be that worried about how we look or gaining a little bit of weight. Um, right now, there is so much more going on. And also, maybe gaining a few pounds isn't a bad thing. So uh, if you're seeing you know, a ton of articles like that, I hear you. It's frustrating. Shut them out. Don't click on them because that makes you you know, or not you, but it makes people think that they should write more of them. And, and we don't want more. I don't want to see any more of them. So I'm just going to read the top. So this is from Yale Medicine, actually. And they said, quarantine 15, what to do about weight gain during the pandemic. COVID-19 has upended routines, but weight loss is still possible. 
Uh, <laughs> I guess all I have to say. Um, it's easy to see how you might gain weight during the pandemic, especially if you are spending most of your time at home. Comfort food recipes have been trending on Google. There is so much baking going on. Supermarkets can't keep flour in stock. You find yourself thinking that a cookie sounds good or beer. So as sheltering at home restrictions ease up, people are becoming concerned about COVID curves and the quarantine 15 referring to new pounds gained. I don't think most regular people are going around saying like, oh my God, the COVID curves. I think that sounds like diet culture's way to market at you um, for companies to be like, oh, you need this now or don't buy this, buy this instead. I don't think, you know, we're the ones who came up with COVID curves and quarantine 15. So do your best to try to ignore this. I don't want to read anymore because, you know, it's just frustrating. But um I just want to share that I'm seeing that. If you're seeing that, do your best to block it away. It's just diet culture trying to use another thing, um, this pandemic, which didn't need any more, um, you know, articles about it to to grab hold of of someone else and bring them in. So with all that aside, I'm going to turn to our guest today. Um, Her name is Molly Burney. She is a clinical coach. Um, She used to be a therapist, but now she works as a coach, which is really cool. And I think it was great to have her on to understand, you know, what the role of a coach is in recovery um, from mental illness or specifically eating disorders. She um, has a a really interesting story herself. I'll link to her story in the show notes. Um, She's from LA. She works with women in all stages of recovery. And I think um, you'll really appreciate that we do talk about babies and pregnancy because she just had a beautiful baby boy. And I told her I was pregnant during this recording. Um, And I think, you know, that's a little bit in there. And I think we'll be in a little bit of all my podcasts uh, up until November. So hopefully you enjoy what Molly has to say. And without further ado, here we go. Hi, Molly. How are you doing? Fantastic. How are you, Julia? Good. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's always fun when people reach out um, because I, I can't find everyone. So some people need to find me. And that's awesome. Sure. Well, I've, I've had some clients who spoke so highly of, uh, of your work and your contribution. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just excited to be a part of this. Awesome. Thanks. Well, so tell me a little bit about who you are. Tell my listeners and tell me, you know, a little bit about your background. Sure, sure. Um, so my name is Molly. Um, I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a clinical coach. So my background is as a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I provide clinical life coaching with an eye towards mental health. I pivoted into coaching away from therapy um, several years ago just because it, it fits my irreverent style. Uh, it's a more like uh, kind of playful uh, collaborative approach. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I have a clinical foundation. I, I'm drawing from therapeutic techniques constantly, but really I find that I, a therapist is drawing from their body of academic knowledge mm-hmm. and a, a coach is really drawing from their body of experience as well. So I, I like to think of it as the blood that I've left on the field so my clients don't have to, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I'm, a lot, I'm, getting to, uh, I'm getting to share the material that I've, I've experienced in addition to some clinical foundation. And it's, it's a, a, a dynamic where they get to know as much about me as I know about them um, with, you know, appropriate boundaries. Right. Which is super different from when you're a therapist, you know, you don't really know anything about them. Typically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, a lot of what I'm bringing to the table as, as someone in recovery, I'm, um, 13 years in recovery from 
uh, bulimia mm-hmm. is is that I represent that recovery is imperfect. That you know, I'm I'm someone who sure I haven't actually purged food, um, but I've I have body image noise show yeah. up. I have, as yeah. we'll get into, like a history of kind of a questionable compulsive relationship mm-hmm. with exercise. Um, and that I, I get to represent what it looks like to, to actively work through these thoughts and these instincts from a totally imperfect place um, and, and, and really get to walk my clients through, hey, here's the thought, here's the reaction that I had, here's what I did with it, Here, can you believe this insane thing that I chose to do? And then I got this, you know, so I, there's, a, there's a different kind of trajectory of the conversation um, where I'm, I'm really representing um, for them in real time what happens, what the right, recovery right. looks like. So let's step back and tell us a little bit about, you know, what your childhood was like. You grew up in Hollywood, which is really different from where I grew up. <laughs> um, I grew up in like in Boston, so 3,000 miles away. And... I went to school in Boston, actually. Oh, I was at, really? Uh, yeah, I was at Tufts. So I, oh, um... so that's like 10 minutes from my parents' house. Oh, um, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I grew up there and, um, yeah, tell us what growing up in Hollywood is like and with a mom who was an actress. Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I, I hate to say all the stereotypes are true, but damn, all the stereotypes <laughs> seem to be true. Um, yeah. my, mom, uh, my mom did a, a TV show in the 80s called um, Family Ties, and she was the mom on the show. And uh, I got, I think she just, she really struggled with, uh, with the, the element of body image and things like that. And some of that was from that pressure from Hollywood and other... Uh, other elements of that was pressure from my dad, who was also um, an actor and um, had his own ideas about what women's bodies should look like. And mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, in addition to seeing my mom walk around the house with a cucumber, eating it like an ice cream cone, kind of longingly, yeah, um, you know, there were concrete memories like that. And then just more insidious, um, subtle commentary about about women, about other women, mm-hmm. and. Um, that there was an expectation that if you were going to be on anybody's radar, you had to be gorgeous or you had to be really unique in some other way. So it had to be like really fiercely intelligent. Um, mm-hmm. So we had fierce beauty or fierce intelligence. But if you didn't have either of those, you were essentially off the radar completely. Yeah, the, yeah. You're dismissible <laughs> or forgettable. Um, but the confusing thing about the, you, know, you had to be really attractive was mm-hmm. that you couldn't be vain. You right. had to be attractive, but there couldn't be vanity in relationship yeah, to it. Yeah, you couldn't like it, you know. <laughs> exactly. Or you, you couldn't be seen as putting any effort into it. It had to just kind of be a naturally effortless thing, which, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just <laughs> the degree of self-obsession that that ends up creating is so yeah. out of control because then you're and trying to manage how natural it can look. Yeah, that reminds um, me of like when women are like, oh, I just want my makeup to look natural. And I'm like... So, <laughs> so you can wear makeup or not, but like, it's not natural. <laughs> right, right. Or I want that just got out of bed look that takes 45 minutes to perfect. Yeah. Like, uh, so, um, so naturally like that for, for me in, in trying to find the fine line between, okay, be, be attractive and be in shape and be beautiful, but, uh, but not vain. Um, athleticism was kind of the natural safe middle ground because mm-hmm. I, I could I could be physically fit um, but that that wouldn't necessarily bleed over into vanity it would just be about health right this was right. safe yeah at least that was the illusion right um, and so you yeah. you at some point got into boxing but I'm sure you did other sports before <laughs> yeah I, I played Probably not soccer. the first one you tried <laughs> no no I was actually late to the boxing game actually mm. I didn't start until my my late 20s um, oh wow yeah, I mean, anyone who's going to box with any sort of skill is going to start when they're uh, 
eight or nine or something. And that was, that was certainly not my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time I got into boxing, I was, I was looking to do it to kind of see what I was made of, not because I was fantasizing there was any career there for me. Right, I, was, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't, I, I was decent, but I wasn't great. Um, but yeah, prior to, prior to boxing, it was, it was a ton of soccer and then mm -hmm. uh, you know, a ton of time in the gym as my eating disorder naturally developed. Um, and the, uh, I, I didn't get to see the compulsive nature of the exercise really come into play until I was actually in recovery from the bulimia itself, right. yeah. which is fascinating to me. Yeah. And so looking back now, you know, when do you think your eating disorder kind of started? I, I can pinpoint that it, it started, oh, this is, <laughs> this is such a bizarre story. This is a, this, the, this, the moment of stellar parenting that I'm about to describe here. Mm -hmm. um, my, my dad, I was about 16 or so. Um, and uh, I, I was at the dinner table with my dad and I was frustrated with myself for having eaten too much because of course the body image stuff was already yeah, was like yeah, percolating. Yeah. It was already in my awareness. And I mentioned it to my dad that I felt overly full and he suggested, why don't you take a little off the top? That was the phrasing. Like, like a haircut or something like it was no big deal oh my Ugh. god i feel like maybe in in hollywood too it's so it's so normal i later learned this was something he in fact did from time to oh, time oh wow okay um and, and I, I don't think he met diagnostic criteria or anything right. like that but um i i imagine it was a coping skill for him periodically. yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah and i know that like from just you know movies and things you kind of see it as like oh actresses do this Right, right. Like this is a manageable <laughs> technique to call upon periodically, so right? It really, really helps your voice and all that. Um, <laughs> but okay, so started around sixteen. Yeah, um, around sixteen. I like it. It 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 seemed like it seemed like the binging was the problem at first, and the bulimia mm -hmm. was how I solved it. Until right. it became okay. Wait, the, the bulimia is the problem here, and mm -hmm. and then the problem just becomes the whole cycle, the whole you know, right. impulsive yeah, addictive. Yeah. And so, when did you actually start boxing? I didn't start boxing until I was so I'm 16 eating disorder. I yeah. ended up going to and treatment it's like for going. Uh, it's going. I went to college. It went even more. It just okay. was fierce and fast and furious. Yeah. Um, ultimately uh, sought treatment when I was around uh, 21 or so. Okay. Um, so that's a good five years. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. forgive me. No, if it was five years and it was probably 22 or so. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And, and you know, that was for me, the, the treatment was, treatment was incredible. I did inpatient. Um, awesome. And I, I think I was, for whatever reason, I was just ready to be there. Mm -hmm. I was did one of the Did you decide to go yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, that's a, my, big, a big positive. Oops, sorry. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. I, I think my, um, my mom had tried to get me into treatment a couple times before and I just said, I'm just not ready. I, I, I promise I will go when I'm, when I, I think really when I'm on my knees with it is, um, mm -hmm. Is all I could commit to at the time. So was there a moment that you realized before you went to treatment that you had an eating disorder? Like when did you really realize that it was a problem? Because I think a lot of us, at least for myself and most people I talk to, you have a couple years or months there where you're like, oh, this is just fine, normal. Right, right. Everything's good. Um, th there were a couple uh, sparkling moments of, of, wow, this is really out of my control. And one was when I realized I was trying to subsist exclusively on Luna bars for um, oh. like multiple days at a time. Yeah. Um, and forgive me, I don't, I, I just realized, I don't know if you mentioned specific foods. That's so okay. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was one particular moment, but 
uh, ultimately the, the on my knees moment. I was studying abroad in London. At the time, I was actually studying voice and choral conducting. I had lost my voice as a result of the purging. Um, right. and, and at that point, was like was vomiting blood. It was just mm-hmm. not sustainable, and my body was not going to have it. Yeah. So that was when I made that phone call. And then did you go to treatment soon after that? Then I went to treatment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And you had a good experience. I really did. I, um, well, I I can't recommend this for people. Yeah, no, like don't go for fun. (laughs) Well, that's true. But I I did meet my husband there, actually. I went to a a treatment center that treated multiple, um, uh, multiple addictions and multiple, um, sorry, it was dual diagnosis across the board. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I met the man who is now my husband. I cannot recommend treatment relationships to anybody, of course. Like, I need to go on record with that. And had we been any healthier, we would have walked away from each other. Right. But, um, um, yeah, (laughs) but that happened. So then you get out of treatment, and Mm -hmm. how long do you feel like your eating disorder still was plaguing you then? Were you, did you feel like you were recovered, or did you know you still had work to do? I, I knew I still had work to do. I mean, I, I, I think I still consider myself someone who has a tremendous amount of work to oh, do. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm always hesitant to claim the title of recovered because, well, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't experience no noise. When right. I don't, I'm not someone yeah. who has um, complete relief from all, all body image noise and thoughts. Um, but the difference is that I have them rather than right. them having me. Right. Um, and the second thing is I, I, I want to represent what imperfect recovery looks like. And mm-hmm. to me, that's about using an ongoing term rather than recovered. Like it's in the but, past. Yeah. 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 But mm-hmm. I, I invite those who experience like being recovered. Boy, shout yeah. out from the rooftops because that's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. I'd like to be there. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> um, so in your piece that you wrote on Medium, you sort of talk about coming maybe to a second on your knees moment. Um, mm. when you wanted mm-hmm. to have children, um, That's or right. you thought about That's having right. children. So, you know, right. this is maybe 10 years or so after you got, went to treatment, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and you know, you've been in recovery or so, and then right. you go to the doctors and what sort of happens and, and what does it make you think? Sure. Sure. Well, at that point I'd been boxing, uh, for, for several years and the, uh, the training regimen for boxing is intense. And I was, I was, uh, a part of an amateur fight team and mm-hmm. had, um, had regular fights and I had a record and, um, it, you get hurt it was, a lot. oh yeah. Oh, it was, it was like <laughs> concussions on a weekly basis. Um, it's I, just, it sounds horrible. It, there, there were parts that were horrible in it, but if you can understand the, the, that there was pathology driving this yes, too, of course, it's not of course. so bananas. Like there's, yeah. there, this well, fits it's into the- same TV. with running a marathon, right? Like people of are course. like, you like bleed and your toenails fall off and like all these things happen. I'm like, yeah, but it's fine. That is fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. I went around with a, just a, a perpetually broken nose for months because I oh just never God. allowed it to heal. But I was like, no, this is, this is just- this is just the lifestyle, right? This is what I'm doing. Um, Not quite seeing the the elements of it that really were abusive to myself, not Mm -hmm. just the getting hammered in the face repeatedly. Um, But the over-exercising. Yeah, the the, the compulsive nature of it. And also the sense of like, I I was training with a lot of men at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, that meant that I was getting pounded on pretty, pretty hard by guys who were much larger than I. So um, there, there was a sense of like me feeling like I, I I can't, I can't, 
I can't be a quitter about this. I can't be a weenie. I can't back mm-hmm. out. I can't say it's too much. I can't, I have to be stronger than this, which in some, like for some people, seeing themselves through that kind of intensity is heroic. Mm-hmm. But for a type A personality like myself, and I realize that's reductive to say type A, but for a, a the achievement oriented <laughs> version of uh, a human that I happen to be, persisting in that kind of intensity is not heroic. Mm-hmm. That's just self-abusive. So yeah. for me, ultimately, stepping out of the ring was what required more courage for exactly the reasons that you mentioned, which was going mm-hmm. to the doctor. Um, but at, at that point, I, um, I was in my, my early 30s and um, had been training really hard. And my husband and I were talking about um, having a kid. And I knew, I knew that the boxing was unsustainable, but I just didn't, yeah, didn't especially know Especially if you're trying to when. have a kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was like, you know, here, here, was, here was the body and here was the, the version of myself that I thought was the appropriate expression of mm-hmm. attractiveness, but not vain because it mm-hmm. required this kind of discipline. Um, and when the doctor said, hey, this is, uh, you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is really common in, uh, yeah. in, in people who, who are over-exercising. Athletes, my first thought yeah. was like, oh, wait, I'm in recovery from an eating disorder and I work with eating disorders. Am I not feeding myself enough? Which was, yeah. that was like major shame and panic about that. Um, because the one thing I was doing carefully was making sure I was feeding myself enough food. Mm-hmm. So the, the doctor had to explain, look, this is not about, in this particular case, this is not about calories. This is right. about your body being flooded in hormones that it, it thinks it's at war. Right. I mean, you kind of were. Yes, that's a fair point. That is a totally fair point. Like if I was getting punched in the face all the time, I would think I was at war. I, I do also want to say I did manage to punch other people in that's the face good. too. That's this good. was not <laughs> wasn't a one way street. Right, right, right. I, I like to think that if I was just losing constantly, I would have been yeah, yeah. able to stop sooner. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, really putting together, oh, this is, this is going to require a a different, a different kind of discipline to stop Mm -hmm. this, a different version of, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Which, um, like even in recovery, I was just choked with fear about, well, well, what does it mean? Does this mean I'm a coward if I'm stepping down from this? Does this mean I'm going to lose all the muscle off my body? And the, the, the term that the doctor had used was soften. You have to just let yourself soften. And I just writhed with that. It was just the dirtiest word to me at the time. I mean, and this is, this is with 13 years in recovery still. Like that's how insidious this stuff can be. And I think like, I'm so glad you say it in that way too, of like, I was so far into recovery and like feeding myself enough and like thinking I was doing everything right. And yet Mm -hmm. like something happened and and you're like, I'm still dealing with this. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, I mean, I know you just had a baby and we'll get to that <laughs> soon. Um, but I'm ha- like pregnant right now. So we'll be having a baby, ah, congratulations. Uh, which is exciting. My listeners don't know yet, but they'll know when they hear this. Um, ah. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, thought I was good. Like I hadn't purged in years. Sure. And then I got morning sickness and I was like, not good. Not I, good. I, I get it. <laughs> and I just felt like, you know, all these things that I was like, it was my fault. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way that you can throw up without making yourself do it. Like, all these things. And I'm saying I them. I get it. And my husband is like, other people throw up. 
like it's not just people with bulimia. <laughs> I was throwing up in, in my, my first semester, or first semester, yeah, <laughs> first it trimester. Like a semester. It feels right, like right. Um, uh, but with the morning sickness and, and uh, would, would find myself hurling with my hands like over my head. Yeah. Clint, uh, my husband's name is Clint. It was Clint, it's not me. It's not me. I'm not, yeah. it just, he's like, yeah. I, I know, knock it off. <laughs> like, you're yeah. fine. Yeah, no. So it's really good to, you know, remind people that you're never, you're always going to like find these things that are still somehow there and like there's right, always right. work to do. Well, I'm getting to see that, that this is, that sure, this was an offshoot of an eating disorder. And this was an offshoot also of like internalized misogyny and my own shame. And obviously my relationship with my dad is somewhere floating mm -hmm. in, in this mix. So in all of us. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see how the layers keep peeling off and there's more that gets revealed. So how long did it take you to, you know, take her advice to heart and really allow yourself to rest? to really allow myself to rest versus yes. the version of, of my really resting, which is like, three miles. <laughs> yeah, I'll just go, I'll go lift four days a week. Right. That's right. not considered resting by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, when I finally actually sat on my ass and did not lift anything, mm -hmm. um, it really only took about six months. Wow. Which that's is awesome. not long for the body to recover. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something people don't think about either. It's like, we're so resilient. Like, just let your body do it. Um, Absolutely. Well, and, and the whole, the whole idea of like, can I trust my body to do this? And I, I noticed that the same, the same overachiever thing that goes into overdrive in, for example, boxing or mm -hmm. academia, it, I went into overachiever mode then about how I'm going to get my period back of like, oh okay, well, what, well, what's the food I need to eat and what medication do I need to take and what herbs do I how much down, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm, I'm glad we're talking about, you know, pregnancy and getting your period because I have so many clients who like, that's something that they are scared about. You know, they, mm -hmm. they haven't had their period because of eating. They're worried right. that they might not get it because of exercising, like one of those things. And they, they fear like, I'm never going to be able to have kids. Right. So right. I've like gradually started telling all my clients and, and, most of them, because I listen to my podcast, like, no, I have had an eating disorder. Um, right. And they, I tell them, oh, I'm going to have a baby. So in November, like, you won't see me anymore. And um, they get so excited because they're like, you did it. Like, um, you're having a baby, you know? And so that's sort of a wonderful thing for you and for myself to share with people. It's like, you can do it. Like, it, it's course. possible. Yeah. The, the phrase that I end up using with clients all the time, and this is both in regards to this and many other things, but mm -hmm. in order for something to change, something has to become more important than something else. Right. It's yeah. that simple. Uh, not easy, but certainly simple. Yeah. Um, so to be so able to prioritize like, those. What was it like for you that moment you found out you were pregnant? Oh man, <laughs> I think um, that was just relief and gratitude. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I almost want to say pride, but that feels like a, <laughs> a like, weird. Hey, I got like, knocked up. I yeah, <laughs> but like it's true. Like it's hard right. for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think just then, like, just bring on the curiosity, because I I've always known that in recovery pregnancy was going to bring on its own challenges that I was yeah. going to have to wrestle different elements of this completely. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just curious to see, well, what does this phase of recovery look like? What is this mm -hmm. going to bring? And if you had a client right now who was pregnant, you know, what would you say in terms of like, 
how do you mentally handle that weight gain that you're constantly being told about and then that you right. are experiencing? Right. Well, uh, I, I, I have a couple. You know, the, the first piece is advocacy to make mm-hmm. sure that you're communicating with your, um, your team, your midwife, your obstetrician, whoever it is about like, hey, here's, here's the information about me. Here's my, yeah. my history. Maybe don't use numbers. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realize that requires often for people a degree of, um, of transparency. That's really terrifying. Yeah. And that's where I, I like to work a lot on, Hey, we got to be kind of shameless about this. We got to mm-hmm. just throw out there. Here's what I'm working with. Here's what I need from you. Um, as best we can, because this is in the, in the defense of our own sanity and right. kids. Too. Yeah, for sure. So professionally, you're a recovery coach, right? And well, I'm uh, I'm a clinical coach. So clinical I, I work, coach. Okay, that's okay. Um, I, I I started in just doing recovery, uh, mm-hmm. eating disorder recovery work, and it kind of naturally, organically evolved into a a, a wider population that I work with. Mm-hmm. But eating disorders are close to my heart, so yeah. of course, yeah. That's so and you you explained a little at the beginning, you know, what the difference is between a coach and a therapist. And can you explain for a lot of people, I think, especially on the East Coast, we don't have coaches as much maybe as sure. people on the West Coast. And how, how does a coach fit into your recovery or your you know, process of getting better, whatever it is, if it's an eating disorder or not? And sure. you know, how, how would you have one and a therapist or would you just have one? Like, what's the difference? Well, the majority of my clients now are actually therapists. <laughs> oh, wow. So I, I, we're, we're working with um, everything from like their anxiety and uh, um, or clients who are working on building a business and making sure that their fear is not irrigating the infrastructure of what they're building mm-hmm. um, or elements of depression, elements of body image and things like that. With, uh, with someone who's in early recovery from an eating disorder, yes, I would absolutely suggest that there's a therapist on board as well um, because it's, it's a different conversation. Sure, yeah. I have a clinical foundation, but my, my role here is very different, and I'm certainly not um, looking to step on the toes of uh, any other team member. Um, mm-hmm. The coaching conversation is uh, it's a little bit more collaborative, and it's much more uh, immediately goal-oriented of, hey, what's your strategy? Yeah. How are you going to move through this? What's the plan? Like the actual um, steps that you're going to take. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's really practical in terms of uh, in terms of how you're going to engage with that. We're also playing with um, with elements of like how individuals are occurring in the moment. So I get to ask a client, "Hey, tell me, you know, when you had that reaction, what were you trying to protect me from seeing? What am I not allowed to think about you?" Yeah, which is a more um, more direct or heavy-handed question than a therapist would <laughs> yeah. tend to ask. Yeah, so. for sure. That is quite different. And do most of your clients have therapists as well, or do they kind of like maybe start with one and then shift over? Um, the majority of my clients right now um, don't have therapists at the moment, which is, uh, well, yeah, it's because they're, they're much more higher functioning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so someone who's in earlier recovery. It's not that yes, like crisis would, level. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and there are some coaches who do great work at the crisis level. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that certainly used to be a, um, a specialty of mine. And the more I've grown as a, a clinician, yeah. the, the more I'm more interested in working with people who are um, in a, just in a different phase of life, in a different phase of recovery. Yeah. And as someone who is very open with your recovery and your process with others, do you think it's because you're attracted to people who are sort of in that same phase as you? Like maybe a little or a little behind, <laughs> like, you know, more <laughs> I, I, recovered? I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that. And, and it very well might be. I think it's also 
what they're drawn to as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. you know, people who are, are, I tend to be, for someone who's in their very early recovery, I tend to move a little bit too fast. Um, right. So yeah. I, usually it's uh, people will self-select um, who, are, who are looking to be pushed, who are hungry yeah. to be pushed. That's so funny too, because I, I feel like maybe I'm a coach and a dietitian, who knows? I'm like, will be. <laughs> I'm like very pushy with my clients and, you know, mm-hmm. set goals. And I had one, I didn't even realize that that was unusual because, you know, you're not in, besides your internship, or, right. you know, when you're learning, you're not like observing other practitioners or clinicians that often. Um, mm-hmm. and that would be a little odd if you had like a, a group of them sitting in the room with you. Uh, yeah. And I had a client on her first or second, must have been her second appointment with me. I was really pushing her and we set a couple goals and she took a deep breath and she was like, this is why I picked you. So it's okay. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, my therapist gave me two options for a dietitian. And one of them, she said, you know, would really push me and give me a lot of goals and I'd make progress, but I might not like it. And the other mm-hmm. one is going to be really nice, but who knows what's going to happen in terms of like your progress. So I picked you, but you're, she's right. I don't love it. <laughs> and I was like, I get it. Okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Oh, one of yeah. my, my favorite things to do with clients is we do the, the, we'll go through some goal setting and then say, okay, I need to know which of these you have no interest in doing. Right. Um, yeah. Like let's, let's be really realistic about this because, um, and, and here's another piece that's different from a therapist is that I often say to clients, look, you get to live with your eating disorder if you want. Right. This is not a moral issue. This is not an ethical issue. You have the free will to be able to choose and, and pick which parts of recovery you want and don't want. Now, mm-hmm. I may have an opinion about what yeah. might be more helpful for you, Yeah, um, but I'm not interested in being some authority here to uphold goals that you're not interested in. So mm-hmm. you need to tell me what that looks like. Right. And ultimately, like, I, as the representative for my client's healthy self, that's kind of how I like to think of it. I'm just the advocate here, um, that there, there ends up being a degree of, uh, of that that's, that's pretty motivating where they go, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not interested in living with all of these elements of my eating disorder. Yeah. I, I don't want to pick and choose. I want to be free of all of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it is gradual, right? Like you're not going to get rid of, as you experience, you know, you're not going to get rid of every single thing, whether it's the obsessive exercising or the thoughts at the same time necessarily as you're getting rid of actually restricting or binging or purging. Or Absolutely. To me, yeah. freedom is about being able to have those, have those, have the noise of the eating disorder without mm-hmm. it having me, without you know, the dignity of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. And, and being able to hear that stuff come up and be in relationship to it rather than um, it essentially being its hostage. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that you share your recovery a lot with clients. And this is definitely like sort of a debate that therapists have all the time of like whether they share things or not. Sure. Um, I, that's I, one of the reasons that I, that I chose not to continue being a therapist is I yeah. just felt like I have more of a contribution on this side of things than on that. Yeah. So can you talk about like, what's the benefits of maybe working with someone who does share or the benefits for you and then sort of the drawbacks are where you kind of get to that line, like, Ooh, sure. what, what's going on? Absolutely. Um, the, the primary benefit to me is about neutralizing shame wherever we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's about how can I represent um, and normalize what, what this noise looks like to live with, um, whether it's the eating disorder noise or, 
my own anxiety or the one that's like, hey, we just had a baby two weeks ago. We should get back in the gym, right? That's an adorable thought, Molly. Like, like, yeah, that by yeah I'm like, keep telling myself, I'm like, you're not going to exercise until 2021. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> just, right. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the more I can represent, um, like, this is, this is what one version of recovery looks like. And even on a larger scale, this is what humanity looks like. This is, this is what I look like when I wrestle with loneliness or fear or anxiety or depression or frustration or miscommunication. This is how I stumble and get back mm-hmm. up. Um, that if I can represent that as, as gracefully and imperfectly as possible, then I'm, I'm, that's my contribution. I'm doing mm-hmm. my work. And then so do you ever get said, to that? Oh, yeah, go ahead. You're about to answer that, my that question. There is, yeah, <laughs> I think there, there is another side to it that um, there are some clients for whom that is not the right approach at all. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are clients who, um, who really need to be able to have those boundaries cleanly, um, cleanly drawn and who uh, the, the kind of the magic of therapy is being able to, um, to project and build that relationship based on what the um, illusion is not quite the right word, but the illusion, right. for, for lack of a better word, of what the client is, um, is projecting on the therapist. Mm-hmm. And that that's a really rich, beautiful clinical process that needs to happen. Um, and in that case, a therapist sharing information about themselves is that's going to pop the bubble. That's going to yeah. um, cha- drastically change the dynamic of what's going on between them. Right. Um, and that's where like you should choose the person that fits for you. Uh, yeah, like to anyone absolutely. listening, if you're working with a therapist or a coach and you don't like the process or what it's like, you know, find somebody else. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's and not I, helping. I, I think, I do think um, coaches get a bad rap and I understand why. I mm-hmm. totally understand why. I mean, my, one of my biggest fears in choosing to pivot to coaching was, oh God, I, then I have to say I'm a life coach and yeah. not my favorite way to introduce myself at all. Yeah. Which, you know, but, um, and I think definitely from the, you know, maybe credentialed medical professional sure. you know, sort of side, definitely people look at coaches as like, oh, what are they doing? They're like taking our clients. Um, as they should, you know, that, yeah. that's, you're right. It's, it's an unregistered, uh, excuse me, un, oh my gosh, what's the word? Help me here. A credential, <laughs> their license. Un- non- yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's a, it's a non-licensed and non-credentialed field. So mm-hmm. it is appropriate to have a tremendous amount of scrutiny for people like us who are claiming this title. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm grateful to have the background in yeah, psych and have probably done my super hours helpful. as a therapist. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about, you know, if I'm someone in, in recovery, I feel like you're totally right. The ones who maybe are a little bit further into mm-hmm. recovery would really benefit from, you know, m- your more personal approach. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you're right at the beginning, like, those people I feel like always want to stop talking about themselves and like right. empathize with someone else. And it's like, maybe right. that's not the best. No, best you're absolutely person. right. Like I, I do have to keep an eye out for the, 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 degree the empaths. Of out there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah. Yeah. So if you could go back and, you know, maybe talk to your 16 year old self or 17 year old self when this was first starting, what would you say? Mm. There's this, there's this great, um, I don't remember if it's Tibetan Buddhist parable or Zen Buddhist parable, but okay. this, uh, this guy who wants to become a monk goes to the teacher and says, okay, um, if, if I study with you and really, really commit myself, how long will it take me to reach enlightenment? And the teacher says, 10 years. And he goes, okay, well, what if I study twice as hard and I sleep half the time that I, and I, I just, I doubly commit myself. 
how long will it take? And the teacher goes, 20 years. That's the parable that I'd give myself is that yeah. coming with the kind of intensity of like, whether it's I want to achieve or I want to get better or I want to, I want to reach enlightenment. I want to have, I want to have this particular body. I want to be intelligent, whatever I was chasing. I did so, I think with so much ferocity and compulsion mm-hmm. that it almost validated the problem rather than solving it. Yeah. That, that it, reminds it just, me of when I tried to put together Ikea furniture and I like <laughs> <laughs> refused to read instructions and just right. end up like breaking something. And then, That's, you yeah. know, you're stuck and it's like, well, if I just opened up the instructions <laughs> and right. used the right kind of peg, then this would have been fine. <laughs> so I think the the takeaway from that is like, just trust that your best is enough, honey. And mm-hmm. to remind myself, I love you. Keep going. I love yeah. you. Keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so last question, and you've listened, so you know uh, what it is. But what's your favorite food, Molly? Rice pudding. Oh, wow. Hands you know down. really fast. <laughs> I, well, yes, I'm, I'm true to my, my diagnosis here, of course. Uh, awesome. So why rice pudding? Oh, because it's creamy and sweet, but textured still and Mm-hmm. I, you know, my mom Hello and welcome to oh, Life with Ed awesome. the podcast. Yeah. I'm Julia Worth. Well, thank your you host. so much. Uh, I really enjoyed having you on. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I, I just I appreciate the work you do for the community. Thank you. Oh yeah.